transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert and there's no place to die like the desert. The arid wilderness under the charging sky as Jenny Lewis wrote. We lost another hiker last year and his bones were just discovered. Paul Miller, age 51, when he vanished. I've had a few drinks with Paul because His missing hiker flyer was on the bulletin board next to my favorite bar stool at the saloon. My favorite bar stool sort of tucked into the back there where you can occasionally read a book and enjoy a beverage. Occasionally. In the miserable depths of summer, I mean. Otherwise, it's always tourist season in there. Until the next recession, or the next plague, or the super earthquake, or whatever clears out the crowd for a couple of years. It's coming, don't worry. Don't be a ye of little faith, is what I mean. When I hear this kind of news about someone of similar age perishing on a day hike in the same desert where I go wandering alone each and every day, well, I guess it leaves me with a feeling of elation, of celebration, because I'm still here for now until my time of dying. Battlefield ethics, I guess. Salute the ones who fell and thank God it wasn't you. Not this time. Not yet. So here's to you, Paul Miller. You went out like a lion. found sitting in front of the TV a couple of years after you gave up the ghost. You don't want to be found with your bony hand wrapped around a phone that was showing you pictures of other people outside. We can't choose the day and we can't choose the hour. But by spending more time alive, we increase the odds that when our time does come, at least we won't feel like we've squandered it, squandered all the time we had. And don't let anybody else define squandering time for you either. Especially me, it's none of my business. 
Not too long ago, I was headed out for a walk, and I passed a young couple talking to a ranger. This was up in Utah. Always hike with a partner, with a buddy, the ranger was saying. And I thought, well, the best part of taking a walk in the first place, a walk in the wilderness, is you get away from other people for a little while. Get away from yourself, too. All that chitter-chattered, dingbat nonsense banging around your head most of the time. Get outside and start walking or climbing or whatever you like to do. And after a little while, you might just start noticing the world around you. The weird birds. The big yuccas and pinions looming over you. The dainty little prince of a fox coming out of its burrow. The big prince of a mountain lion in the wash. How fresh are those prints? What was that sound? Now you're starting to feel alive. A while back, I was walking through the walled canyon on the way back from Black Rock Spring at sundown. And there was a tight corner, and I come around, and then I'm face-to-face with a good-sized coyote. Now, both the coyote and I were completely startled, both just trotting along, feeling like the king of our realm, like Pan in the forest, and it was just one of those honest old primal surprises. And I loved it. The rest of the way, the rest of that walk home, I felt so alive that I can still remember it right now. That sort of tingling you get on the back of your neck like anything can happen. The way you feel when you just got the best idea in the world. You just love everything in those moments, those magical moments. Now, sometimes it's nice to take a walk with somebody if you've got something to talk about, something interesting. Maybe an old friend is visiting. That's always a nice thing. Sort of catch up before you go to the saloon. Give you something to celebrate. You did something. Arizona remains as Coronado saw it, rugged, primitive, seemingly beyond the reach of civilization. And yet there is beauty here in this tough terrain. Some people say you have to be a romantic to appreciate this kind of beauty, but I don't think so. Have you and I become so sophisticated that we can't marvel at saguaro cactus that can grow seemingly without water for 200 years? Well, some of these cacti are that old. The seemingly lifeless desert abounds with life. The scorpion is poisonous, the bite is painful but not fatal, and the same can be said of the giant tarantula and the Gila monster, the only poisonous lizard in America. Contact with these creatures may give you an awful headache, but rarely will the meeting prove fatal. Of course, the diamondback rattler is something else again. Be smart and be a coward. Run just as fast as you can. 
To really appreciate the desert and its flora and fauna, drive south of Phoenix about 100 miles to the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. The admission price is only about a dollar for adults, less for teenagers, and there's no charge for youngsters. Now, our armchair visit will be brief, but you can spend half a day here or more without getting bored at what is probably the finest desert museum in the world. The youngsters will be attracted by the impish groundhogs, and the desert tortoise is so harmless that even the children are invited to pet him. Don't let his looks deceive you. He loves to be pampered. The museum features walk-in bird cages, and once inside, you'll get the once-over from the chachalaca, a bird native to Mexico. the Western Roadrunner, the largest member of the cuckoo family. He can fly, but prefers the ground. The turkey vulture will spread its wings to absorb the morning sunshine. These are Cotamundi, or Chulo, closely related to the raccoon family, and the restless, fleet-footed jaguar. Mr. Hal Grau, the noted expert on desert wildlife, lectures at the Sonora Desert Museum, and here he's discussing the wild pig, or javelina, which is found from southern Arizona to South America. Reputedly, the wild pig is dangerous. Supposedly, it attacks people. But listen. Well, we think that sometimes, maybe this is what happens. The wild pigs are very nearsighted, and they're also very nosy. They go out in the desert, and they grow to be 50 pounds, which is about three times as big as this fellow that I'm holding. And they hear a noise. They go to investigate the noise being made by some people. The people see a 50-pound pig coming toward them, so they run. The pig catches up to the noise that he's chasing. The people, out of fear, kick at the pig. The pig, to protect himself, bites at the people. And then the people go up a tree. When they come down out of the tree, they go home and tell everyone that the wild pig chased them up a tree. Now, this might be an oversimplification, but we think it happens in many of the instances. The main idea that we try to put across here is that if we leave the wild animals alone, we ask the children what will they do, and they answer, they'll leave us alone. Right? Isn't that right? Yes, that is. Generally speaking, the Desert Museum discourages people from trying to make pets out of wild animals on the basis that they retain some of the wild instincts and you never know when they're going to show up. We try to condition the animals so that they can be held. For example, this two-year-old bobcat seems perfectly contented here. Her ears are up, her claws are in. She might be growling or purring at the moment, but watch what really happens to her when she gets milk or food on her mind. Now here's the wild cat, and here's the milk, and here we go. She still is quite wild. No holiday in Arizona could possibly be complete without a stopover at the state's most famous natural wonder, and rated by many the number one natural wonder on the face of the earth. 
of course, this is the Pinnacle Peak Patio. Now, the regular customers wear sports shirts without neckties because here's what happens to unsuspecting city slickers. Good evening. Welcome to Pinnacle Peak Patio. Uh, through the rules of the house side, this tie is allowed. You have a chance to put it in your pocket or I'll cut it off and add it to our collection. Oh, I think you might as well. It's quite a place for a holiday, this state of Arizona. There is a ruggedness here, a loveliness here, a feeling of friendship here, a feeling of ruggedness that combines into a package of colorful memories. History, culture, wildlife, entertainment, grandeur, ruggedness, they're all here awaiting you on your Arizona holiday. September 2, looking at the stars last night as they rose above the crest of the ridge east of the house, I observed them successively disappear from left to right. Each was eclipsed but an instant, and only a few at the same time. But along the entire length of the ridge, all that were within a degree or two of the crest were blotted out. It was as if something had passed along between me and them, but I could not see it, and the stars were not thick enough to define its outline. Ugh, I don't like this. September 27th. It has been about here again. I find evidence of its presence every day. I watched again all last night in the same cover, gun in hand, double charged with buckshot. In the morning, the fresh footprints were there as before. Yet I would have sworn that I did not sleep. Indeed, I hardly sleep at all. It is terrible, insupportable. If these amazing experiences are real, I shall go mad. If they are fanciful, I am mad already. October 3rd. I shall not go. It shall not drive me away. This is my house. My land. God hates a coward. October 7th. There are sounds that we cannot hear. At either end of the scale are notes that stir no chord of that imperfect instrument, the human ear. They are too high or too grave. I have observed a flock of blackbirds occupying an entire treetop 
the tops of several trees, and all in full song. Suddenly, in a moment, at absolutely the same instant, all spring into the air and fly away. How? They could not all see one another. Whole treetops intervened. At no point could a leader have been visible to all. There must have been a signal of warning or command high and shrill above the den, but by me unheard. I have observed, too, the same simultaneous flight when all were silent, among not only blackbirds, but other birds, quail, for example, widely separated by bushes, even on opposite sides of a hill. As with sounds, so with colors. At each end of the solar spectrum, the chemists can detect the presence of what are known as actinic rays. They represent colors, integral colors in the composition of light, which we are unable to discern. The human eye is an imperfect instrument. Its range is but a few octaves of the real chromatic scale. I am not mad. There are colors that we cannot see. And, God help me, the damned thing is of such a color. That's a little bit from a story by Ambrose Bierce. And you might have figured out it's called The Damned Thing. Ambrose Bierce disappeared in the desert in 1914, just a little over a century ago. He was from Appalachia, across the Ohio River from Point Pleasant. You know the place. Home of the Mothman. No wonder Ambrose Bierce's best-known story is called An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. About a haunted place, mystery creatures falling through the broken bridge into the water below. Like the silver bridge over the Ohio River. Bierce was a Civil War soldier on the Union side. And he wrote dark fantastic stories. Eventually, he wound up in San Francisco, a booming newspaper town at the time, and he became a big-name writer and a columnist for the San Francisco Examiner for William Randolph Hearst. When Bierce was 71 years old, he decided that he'd had it, sick of writing, sick of the content business. Sick of sweating for rich people. 
when Beers was 71 years old, he set out for the desert. He set out to die like a hero while he could still get around, still ride a horse, still shoot a gun. He sent a farewell letter to his niece in October of 1913. I go away tomorrow for a long time. So this is only to say goodbye. I think there's nothing else worth saying. Therefore, you will naturally expect a long letter. What an intolerable world this would be if we said nothing but what is worth saying and did nothing foolish like going into Mexico and South America. I'm hoping that you will go to the mines soon. You must hunger and thirst for the mountains, as do I. Civilization be damned. It is the mountains and the desert for me. Goodbye. If you hear of my being stood up against a Mexican stone wall and shot to rags, please know that I think that's a pretty good way to depart this life. It beats old age, disease, or falling down the cellar stairs. To be a gringo in Mexico. Ah, that is euthanasia. Affectionately yours, Ambrose. Now it's a mystery what happened to Ambrose Bierce. Although most of the mostly legendary stories say that he did get down to the Chihuahuan Desert. And he did meet up with Pancho Villa the desert rancher turned revolutionary who wore his guns outside his pants for all the honest world to feel. Now some of the old federales say that Beers got shot up in this or that battle, that he was wounded, but he got back across to the Rio Grande got hauled to Marfa for processing by ice and died along the way. He died another half dozen ways too. And you can even find some scattered monuments to his various departures from this world and Mexico. They're all beautiful, all beautiful ways to go. Carlos Fuentes wrote a real good novel about what might have happened. It's called The Old Gringo. You ought to pick it up. Now, if you've made it this far down this dusty road, you're probably saying, well, that sounds a lot like the Towns Van Zant song, Poncho and Lefty. This sure does. 
But Towns claimed it wasn't about Pancho Villa, the historical figure, the revolutionary. We never really know where songs come from. Like any beautiful idea, they just burst out of the sky and land in the nearest friendly human head. That's the way of it. I've long figured that Lefty must have been Ambrose Bierce in some way or another. But to my surprise, I can find no evidence that this has ever even been suggested. Now, Pancho Villa was a leftist, more or less. John Reed even ran around with Pancho and the gang, the revolutionaries. Was Ambrose Bierce a socialist? It was in the air. In the 1910s. was a romantic, a heartbroken romantic. He was cynical, especially about American politics, about the obvious forces of wealth and privilege that pull the strings. He would have loved to hate our current time. He would have understood it better than those overpaid waterheads at CNN or the incels on the New York Times editorial page. Maybe he was left-handed. Or maybe he was simply on the left-hand path, what we call the sinister path, because the old word for the left-hand side is the sinister side. It comes from ancient Latin, and dexter means right-handed, dexterity, because most of us have more of it in the right hand, and those of us who have our polarity switched are always suspected of being in league with the devil. Anyway, I don't know. I can't find any mention of it. So maybe an Ambrose Beer scholar or Will Hurst Jr. or somebody will let me know. So i just leave you with this. Because if Towns Van Zandt did not know Lefty was Ambrose Bierce, he at least knew that Lefty was also from Ohio. Hey, don't feel bad if your Christmas tree is still up in late January. It's all right. I just finally took mine over to the wood chipper last week. It was a good tree, and I was sorry to see it go. Here's the deal. According to Christmas law, you don't have to take down the tree until Candlemas Eve. Candlemas Eve, February 1. But if it's still up on Feb 2, you got both a fire hazard and a real problem with the goblins who will vex you like nobody's business should they find an old Christmas tree still standing after Candlemas. Be warned, friends. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. We broadcast on Fridays in the high desert. We're everywhere on the internet, on your podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, etc., we run a little Patreon scheme because, well, it turns out nobody pays for podcasts. Isn't that something? Patreon, Desert Oracle. Thank you for listening, and good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>